I'm Seth Day. I use he, they pronouns. I'm Crystal Sunshine. I use she, her pronouns. And I'm Rebecca Hackmeyer, and I use she, her pronouns. And And you're you're listening listening to to Rad Child Child Podcast. Podcast. So uh, this week we're talking about um, death and grief, which sort of, you know, are very closely related to one another. So we lumped them into one topic. I am very excited about my books. Um, so my I have two because I can't make decisions. Um, and one, uh, the, my first book is called Death is Stupid, and that's by Anastasia Higginbotham, who has been on the podcast. We've talked about her books before. She's great. She has a really mm-hmm. awesome series called Ordinary Terrible Things. Um, that includes this book and uh, Tell Me About Sex Grandma. There's one about just one about whiteness that I can never remember the whole title of. Not my idea. Thank you. Uh, and then there's, what is the other? Divorce is the worst is mm-hmm. the fourth one. Um, but yeah, it's just about ordinary, terrible things. <laughs> the aptly named. Um, but yeah, so this one is about death. And basically, um, it's it sort of goes through, what I like about it, I mean, I like a lot of things about it, but it goes through, it's a kid has lost their grandmother and they're at the funeral. And it sort of goes through all of these sort of things that a lot of times people will say like, uh, like, you know, oh, I know exactly how you feel. Don't cry. Just be grateful for the time you had with her. And it's this idea that like, you know, when people die, people can say some stupid things. <laughs> um, and then there's a lot of, you know, a lot of that sort of figurative language we use around death. So people are saying to the kid, oh, we lost her. And the kid is saying, well, then find her. <laughs> you know, well, we, we can't, she's gone. Well, is she ever coming back? Um, and then, you know, she's in a better place. Well, would I be in a better place if I died? The kid says, and they're like, oh my God, no. <laughs> um, so it's just a lot of this like figurative fluffy language that we use around death. Um, and with kids, right, the idea that we need to be really clear um, when we're talking about death with kids. Like, oh, there's another one where they're saying like, now, you know, grandma can watch over you wherever you are. And now this kid is imagining grandma like watching him like as he misbehaves. And it's like, oh no, grandma's gonna see me misbehave. Um, but all those, all those kinds of things. Um, and then it sort of goes, goes to transitions from being at the funeral to, um, just sort of like, how do we, you know, kind of go on living after someone that we love passes away. And, um, it just sort of, and then sort of gives this idea that like, eventually, you know, everyone's going to have an experience of someone they love dying. Uh, so we all share that, but the experiences are not the same. Um, which I appreciate. And they also, I love that they include like loss of a pet in the book also, um, which is like so important. I mean, even as an adult, when I lose a pet, it's very traumatic, but especially to kids, I feel like that's something that's often brushed off. Hmm. Like, oh, your cat died. We'll just get another one. (laughs) No, that kind of idea. Um, And then it sort of gives, uh, gives some practical ideas through the narrative of, you know, like the, the, I think it's the mother is suggesting, oh, you can like talk to grandma in your imagination. It's the grandmother who's passed away. Um, and so he's, you know, having conversations with grandma in his imagination. Um, and, uh, what else? And then it also, there's a really sweet part where like, it's been in the narrative, they talk about how grandma had a garden and, um, 
he's noticing the kid is noticing that grandma's garden isn't looking so great so like they go outside and they tend grandma's garden and then he's with his dad and he asks his dad can you they're like picking tomatoes and he's like can you show me how to make that tomato sauce that grandma always made and so like Mm -hmm. remembering people through uh, the things that they loved um, and the things that they did and uh, it's just really sweet story and then at the end of these books there's always like an activity section and um, it's again more ideas of how to remember people and it says you know wear what they wore and it shows the kid like wearing grandma's sweater Um, it says play what they played and they're like playing cards um, reading books that they read making things that they made and it shows with him with a big cake Um, and then there's there's a place in the book for you to you know I will not do this because uh, I do not own this book it's a library book Um, but there's a place in the book for you to put a picture of someone you loved who's passed away Uh, and there's a place also there's a page again another page about um, when an animal you care about dies, people may not understand your feelings. Feel them anyway. And it has a lot of things that people might say, like, we'll get another one. What's the big deal? It was only a fill-in-the-blank <laughs> uh, cat, dog, whatever, um, those kinds Lizard, of things. Turtle. Yeah, yeah I know. I mean, well, well, that was funny. I was, like, I was thinking about when I was sort of thinking about this, I was like, oh, you know, because most, most pets don't live as long as us. And I was like, well, unless you have a turtle or a parrot, I guess. Depends on the pet. Right, right. <laughs> can live to be like 80 years old. Yeah, they're wild. Some animals, like parrots too, can live like to over 100, I think. They're like 70s. Turtles are more boring than a parrot, though. Like, okay, listen, I was at the SPCA <laughs> and there was this turtle and it was the sassiest turtle I have ever seen in my life. I literally almost came home with a turtle. I was like, Kat, can we please get this turtle? He was just like living his life and like, I don't know. He was just so sassy. Like, I had a turtle named Cordellini that I was like, oh my God. And I was like, why won't you cuddle with me? <laughs> <laughs> because I'm a turtle. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> But anyway, and then there's also a place for pictures of pets uh, that you lost in the book as well. Um, but I, you know, I appreciate I appreciate that because I think that that's often something that when we talk about uh, loss of a loved one, we're, we're in books, I think it's usually talking about a person. And I appreciate putting pets in there, especially for kids, because kids can be super close. I mean, and like I was saying, even as an adult, it could be very traumatic to lose a pet. Um uh, so yeah, I the things that I my sort of way to goes, which I sort of mentioned a little bit about, but I like that we actually see the kid at a funeral um, because I think a lot of the books are a little more like figurative y uh, the books about death that I saw, and which you know some of that can be good, but I appreciated like this was the first book I saw where we actually see a funeral. Um, I like uh, where am I here? Um, like I was saying, talking about the clear language with kids, which I think is so important across the board, not using this sort of like flowery language that we sometimes use with adults to be a little kinder, like, oh, she passed away or she, you know, um, and explaining, right, what we're, if we're saying, you know, she's dead and we're explaining what death means in the best way that we can, um, depending on the age of the child. Like, I think that's really important. Um, there's also a really beautiful page. Let me just flip to it. Um I did the smart thing this time. I wrote down the page numbers instead of being like, it's somewhere. Uh, um, the Ordinary Terrible Things series is great because it has page numbers. numbers. I yeah. know. Shout out to page numbers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's my other way to go. Page numbers. 
Um, but there's this page that says beliefs about what happens after death are personal to each of us. We all have our own ways of understanding and not understanding this mystery. Search your heart and other sources you trust to find out what you believe. Um, so I appreciated that sort of nod to the fact that, you know, no one really knows for sure what happens and we all have different beliefs and it doesn't sort of push one particular belief. I really love that. That's such an opener for allowing families or people to like lay in like here's what we believe like here's yeah what we believe. Here's or even like what do you think happens you know mm-hmm. um kids have all sorts of interesting ideas about that stuff totally. <laughs> um i for till this day i so i'm christian and when i was a kid i always imagined that heaven had gold rivers of chocolate and like if that's not real i will be so disappointed Like, I just decided that there were rivers. It was like Willy Wonka's factory. Like, there were chocolate rivers. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Uh, Just in case anyone's wondering what my heaven looks like, it's got chocolate rivers. And golden castles, like Disney castles. Of Um, course. Yeah, obviously. (laughs) Um, I also really liked the the idea that like everyone has you know eventually will have some experience with death but they're not it's not the same experience um the also the idea of like there was a page where they're talking about feeling your feelings even like even if you don't understand your feelings just like allow yourself to feel them um and the ideas for connecting with people i really like with connecting with people after they've passed away whether it's you know for remembering them right whether it's the wearing their clothes or cooking the tomato sauce or doing whatever i thought that that was really like personally like that's also like something after my um my father passed away like I kept like a jacket of his and it was way too big it was hilarious on me um Mm. but I used to like to wear that and that was something that helped me like connect with him and I thought that they were really like like vulnerable and just kind of like very real ideas um I'm very like I love uh when books give sort of I'm a very like practical person where I'm like okay there's a problem what can I do So I like that they offered like, you know, physical things that you can, can do and more than one to like, see what fits for you. Um, So, so yeah, I really like that. The only uh, room to grows that I had were um, the, so the word stupid uh, might not necessarily be one that all parents want to introduce to kids. Um, So that might be a barrier uh, with this book. But you can include me in that group of parents. It's yeah. very much just like that word. It's totally yes. ableist. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's an ableist word. And also, even without that, like, right, if you introduce that word to your kids, then your kids might start saying that word. You might not want your kids to say that word. Um, so that's definitely, you know, something. That, and I kind of understand why why she used that word. And, and I, I mean, aside from the ableism, as far as it being a colloquialism of the kids, like, oh, this is so, you know, this is so stupid. Like, it's whatever. But why, do, of- why do we think she used that word? Like, it doesn't I- seem in your description of the book, that title doesn't seem to totally kind of jibe with it. I mean, I think the idea is... I feel like it makes sense in my head. And when I try to articulate it, it's not going to make sense. Um, but this idea of just like frustration with all of these kind of false ideas that people are giving us about death when mm. you were kids of just like, stop it. Like, that's not, you know, that's dumb. Like, that's another ableist word. What's a word that's not ableist that I can use? Confusing. Thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I wonder if there was 
another, you know, another word that could have been used there. And at the end of the book, it does say, um, these, the last page of the book before it ends, before the activity section is, it shows the kid and it says these connections make death less. And he's taken the word stupid away and he replaced it with scary. Mm, Oh, so like the child, like the title is like a child, uh, not being able to very well articulate their yeah. own emotions and confusion and yes. fear around a topic. So yes. it's like a deflecting word. Yeah, exactly. Thank you for being able to read my brain because <laughs> sometimes things just make so much sense. And, I, and then I try to say them and I'm like, I, I don't know right. how to explain that. <laughs> In some ways that's kind of valuable for explaining the, or just illustrating why people use, poor word choices mm-hmm. in general. Like, oh, sometimes we talk about that in my family. Like, sometimes it's easier to grab a word that has darker meaning just because yeah. it's harder to get to what you really mean. Mm-hmm. And also, to be fair, there is a part where um, now I need to find it where the kid is saying death isn't like because someone was saying like oh she's in a better place and the kid says death is not better it's stupid and the parent or whoever says we just mean she's at peace she can rest now and don't say stupid (laughs) Um, so it's not (laughs) condoning the the, you know the use of the word but it does use the word um in the sense that uh you know kids are little parrots and they'll mimic things i know a parent i learned that the word stupid is in beauty and the beast because one of the kids that i nannied like who now you know, I don't, uh, I nannied her several years ago and I went to visit her recently. And, um, she says now everything is stupid because at one point the beast looks in the mirror when he's getting ready to go down for dinner with Belle and he says, Oh, I look stupid. And now everything is, she's like, that pillow is stupid. That thing is stupid. Like, oh, stupid it, now. Is it, it's when he like has all those bows and curls yeah. maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know exactly the scene mm-hmm. that you're referring to. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think, you know, that could be a barrier. And also the other thing, and this is sort of a minor thing. Um, but I think that, uh, because it's specifically about a grandmother, it could be harder to connect if, if a child has lost someone else, um, depending on the age of the child. You know, obviously, we're, you know, they're able to make, make those kinds of connections and say, oh, that grandmother is like, you know, how I lost my fill in the blank. Um, but it can be as opposed to the other, the other book that I have where it's sort of open-ended. Um, but mm-hmm. that's sort of a minor a minor thing I think with a narrative right you have to have picked someone specific <laughs> right um, so and that yeah, is it is like maybe it. a more it's a, um, in some ways a, not a completely in any way universal experience but it's something yes. that maybe more children would would have experienced in their own life yes exactly um, statistically speaking yes but overall, I really like it. Um, I think it had a lot of a lot of really good stuff in it. The, like my only caveat was just the word "stupid." I know, like I, I mean, I would not be reading this book to kids anyway because I nanny them, and that would be inappropriate and weird. I would probably be recommending it to a parent. Um, you have such good boundaries. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine? I just came in and was like, uh, told your taught your kids all about death and also the word "stupid." <laughs> welcome (laughs) um but that's definitely you know uh that definitely might be a barrier like i was saying so 
the other the other book that I really liked was called The Memory Box, a book about grief. And that's by Joanna Rowland and illustrated by Thea Baker. Oh, I did say the publisher of Death is Stupid, which is Feminist Press. Um, and the publisher of uh, Memory Box is Sparkhouse Family, which this is the first time I'm hearing about them. Um, so this book... Um, Oh, why does this always do this? Um, basically, the long and the short of it is it's about a little girl who has lost someone in her life. It doesn't say specifically who. And she decides she's worried about forgetting that person. And so she decides to make a box with all things that remind her of that person in it. Um, and so, you know, photographs where it shows her putting a feather in there or, you know, all, all kinds of different things. Um with the idea of also like making new memories and putting them in the box too. Um, and, and things like that. That's sort of the long and short of it. Um, I like it cause it kind of tackles that scary question of like, am I going to forget some, you know, that was like, as a, I mean, I was older obviously when I lost my father, but like, I remember like when I couldn't remember his voice anymore, what it sounded like, that was like really scary. Um, and those ideas of like, am I going to, you know, forget things about this person, I think is like a really real question. And the author has a background in grief. Um, so where is this? A master of divinity. Uh, so she's also Lutheran, which will come into play later um, <laughs> in my room to growth. <laughs> um, but uh, has worked with children and families experiencing grief and loss as a hospital chaplain. Um, so has experience in that, but I think that's a question, um, that I think, you know, I like that they tackled that question. Um, and uh, so I also like my, another of my way to go is this idea, like I said, that you can sort of, it's very insertable, like you can insert your own experience into the story, which is nice, um, where it doesn't say who specifically the child lost, um, again, I'm, I'm a, I love my practical things. I like the practical idea of making a box and putting things in it. That's actually something that personally, like I have done. Um, like I have a little, a little box with all like silly things like photos or, you know, old things of my dad's, like his watch or, you know, like, um, stuff like that, like cards I wrote him when I was a little kid. I have, I cannot believe I found this gem when I was cleaning out my house, my mom's house. It was a receipt that I wrote him from my fake store that I used to have. I would sell them like rocks, like polished rocks. <laughs> and I found a receipt for the rocks under my bed, just like silly stuff like that. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's some, oh, the, what was the other one I made him? I'm sure someone helped me do this because I was probably too young, but I made him a, a Father's Day card that looked like a little suit and tie. And it said, you suit me just fine, dad. Oh, <laughs> so funny. I, I was a lover of puns even then. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so I liked that idea of like a practical thing that you can do to, to remember someone. Um, uh, and there was also a part of the book where they were talking about how there could be good and bad days, which I appreciated. I, uh, I always, whether it's about, you know, I especially feel this way about books about depression, but I get frustrated when books are just like, and then everything will be better forever. And I'm like, that's mm -hmm. not true. Um, so I appreciate that <laughs> they talk about how, you know, they're even long time after you might have good days, you might have bad days. Um, and in the back, there's a really wonderful guide for helping children process grief that talks about 
will I forget my loved one? What do I do with my feelings? And then there's even uh, a part with sort of practical things for parents that says, if you know a child who's dealing with loss, here are some ways you can help them process their grief. And that gives a couple of suggestions. Um, I, we always, we love the back matter here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so back my own, <laughs> does back matter need a theme song? <laughs> Um, my only room to grow is that there's a page where, um, it says, I go to places that help me think of you. And it shows the child clearly in a church. Um, I mean, I don't know if that would read as a church to a child who's not familiar with the church. Um, so there's that, but like the child is in, is have is in the it's like a silhouette of the child in front of a stained glass window, and they're in like the praying gesture. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, that makes this book less accessible uh, to people who might not attend church. Um, I think that there are plenty of other places that you could go to think of someone that could have been at a park that you went to together that could have been, you know, like the idea of I go to places that help me think of you, that could have been any place to me. Uh, Or if you wanted to put a religious aspect in there, it could have been, maybe we could have shown multiple um, different options. Uh, Right, right. Like I like that the language is uh, like open to interpretation. But yeah. it would have been nice if there had just been a like a like you're saying like a spread with some vignettes like yeah, a child exactly. in church, a child in the woods, a child like eating ice cream with like another cherished adult like at a yeah. special place. Yeah, you know, like I think there could yeah, have been a lot of other. Yes, but that's really the only thing I could. And it does say I will say that in the back of the book under the um, how to help kids process grief, it says if you are religious, ask a leader from your faith tradition to meet with your child to talk about your faith's beliefs about child and death. So like there's openness in the back. It's not like mm-hmm. go to church. <laughs> um, <laughs> the Lord will help you. I mean, all of that stuff is really pointing to something that I picked up in this book, which is that it feels really like white Eurocentric mm. um, mm-hmm. and which isn't necessarily a problem because like everyone needs representation, but, and it made me feel one curious about all of the books that we listed and what the diversity of those books looks mm-hmm. like creator and in protagonists and other characters, but also like oh yeah, like this is really a Western way of yes, doing this. and like what about like altar making? What about the dead? What about like how yeah, that's true. I visualize death in other cultures and in other ways, like within even like um like all around us in North America, like there it's like a multicultural. Yeah, I would love to see. I had the books that I was finding were very white and Eurocentric, and I'm glad that you pointed that out. Um, and I think that I'm sure other books exist, but like we were saying, sometimes those books are so hard to find, which is so frustrating um, for you know the people who made them and the people who are trying to find them. <laughs> um, right. But the uh, um, I will say that Death is Stupid, Anastasia Higginbotham is white as far as I know. Um, the kid represented reads as a person of color. Um, it's all done on cardboard, so right. she does it on like cardstock, so it's kind of hard to say, but their features do read as a person of color. Um, right. Um, but that doesn't yeah. say anything for the cultural lore. Uh, you know, it doesn't really talk about necessarily 
cultural things related to that person's family. It's just like, it, it strikes me the, um, the memory box, like in the back matter, like you're saying, has this kind of nod to religious yeah. support. And while I, like from it, it tips me off as being such a, like, oh, that's like, it's really centering, even though it looks like it's leaving room and options for mm-hmm. other people. And it's really like, oh, no, this this book is really for religious people. <laughs> <Huh>. <laughs> because it's like offering direct support for people grieving in that way. Um, yeah. I don't I Not that it's not useful to other people, too, but it. Right. Like no, that makes sense. Right. Yeah. Okay. No, it's. I appreciate Crystal that you brought that up. It's interesting because I I have some tabs open on my computer and I was um like I was gonna do I there are a couple of titles like in that vein that I wanted to give a shout out to. Um, I guess I'll, I'll wait, but um, like uh, Zuzi Morales has done a number of books on like Day of the Dead and talks about like mm. the playful the you know the playful relationship with the idea of death. Um, and, uh, Pat Mora has done a book called the remembering day, El Dia de los Muertos, which is, um, more than kind of a descriptor of the, the, the holiday, but is about the relationship with death and remembering. So, Mm. um, there are some books out there for sure. And the remembering day was published in 2015. It looks like, although that might be a republishing, I have not been able to get my hands on it yet. And just in case came out in, um, in 2008. Mm. Um, and it was a big, like, and it it is a, a kind of a trickster tale, but the so the story is not kind of about grappling with death and dying, but it like the the approach and the perspective on death and dying is kind of inherent to the story, which is really nice. Yeah, I love. I think it's so important to consider and have representation of other um, of other cultural ideas about these ideas because I I just remember something that really struck me. Um, it was one time I was I was in a play um, with a bunch of you know there were other people in the play besides me. <laughs> it wasn't a one person show. No, <laughs> it wasn't a one man show with you and not. two bunnies. <laughs> oh my god, I would love that show. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, and one of the people in the in the play was indigenous and was talking about their experiences with. We were talking about periods and menstruation, and they were talking about how in their culture like it's like a really joyful time and it's like a thing they were like i she was like i don't understand like this idea of like being like oh my period i hate it because like for me it's like a really joyful time and it's a time of renewal and all these things and that like really um struck me as like i you know i never in my life would have thought of a period as like happy time um and just that there are so many different ideas out there about about all sorts of different things you know um, and, and I think fr- that our framing, we, that we, yeah. we have framed for these things that we do not realize and recognize are mm-hmm. completely constructed. Yep. And often, like you're saying with periods and the way that the West, the West talks about death, it's like makes it harder. Like yeah. <laughs> it's something that you then have to have to disentangle and, and, and reclaim rather than just having that be the perspective. Yeah. Um, so yeah, um, incorporating the books that that are more joyful 
um, yeah. might then you don't may, might not have to have some of the these books that the that we're yeah. that we're talking about today. That's so true. I love that idea. Do you? Uh, I mean, I don't know if your your books are fall into that category, but do you know of any books that fall into that joyful category? Um, I think that the two that that I just mentioned, the Remembering yeah. Day mm-hmm. by Pat Mora, and then um, the work of Zuzi Morales, in particular, Just in mm. Case, a trickster tale in Spanish alphabet book. It's mm-hmm. like the trickster is this um, a spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a little skeleton, a skeleton trying to get to a Dia de los Muertos celebration. And it turns out that the spirit is the, 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 you know, the, the patriarch of the family and then mm. comes and visits and it, it's just, it's, it's lovely. And it's, it's an alphabet book and there's a lot going on yeah. and it, but it just has this playful sentiment. Um, and it's about our, our relationship with those who have passed. I love that. I know. Um, like gift for Abuelita. This isn't on my list because I didn't get my hands on it physically. Um, but I found a lot of raving reviews and synopsis about it online. Mm. Um, a gift for Abuelita celebrating the Day of the Dead, also in Spanish, um, bilingual by Nancy Lewin and Robert Chapman. Um, and it looks like really celebratory little girl mourning the death of her abuelita, her grandmother, and really about how they're working really hard to create an altar for her or this idea of honoring her remembrance in a ritual cultural way. And the illustrations look really beautiful. Is that um, one question I had about that book is whether or not Nancy Lewin, like whether that's an own voices book. Oh, like question. when I look at her, I feel like I, I, I've, oh, um, I, I looked, I looked her up because she is the author of the celebrations of light. Like she's someone who definitely is appreciative of um, like celebration throughout the world, but I don't get the sense that she is a woman of color uh, or that she is from like a, like a Latinx background. Um, but she does create lovely books. Hmm. Um, I I wish that people specifically who wrote like diverse books, I wish people would just maybe just in general name their identity mm-hmm. because I feel like it contributes a lot to the context of their work. Yeah, whether they're identif- whether they identify as white or straight or queer or black or brown or indigenous or where whatever however people identify i wish people would just name it right it is sort of gross like looking through like i do a ton of research like looking at images and then reading every you know like trying to track that information down through what's been said in interviews and what's yeah. been said but on um, the I, other hand i can understand people you know maybe not wanting to or not feeling like they should have to disclose that information. Right. And then in Uh, some cases, like in the case of American Dirt, it can change. And you can go from describing yourself as a white woman who doesn't have any right to to tell a story to then claiming your Puerto Rican heritage. And he is Caucasian. Does anyone feel strongly about going next? Um, I could go next. 
So okay. Rebecca, you feel like. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't feel strongly. Okay. By, by all means. Uh, Go ahead. So I, I also found two books. Um, I'm really wishing I would have spent more time trying to dig up something more representative of something other than like a Eurocentric situation. But okay. So the first book that I found that I wanted to mention is called Annabelle and Aiden, What Happens When We Die, and written by J.R. Becker, illustrated by Max Rumbaldi, and uh, published by Imaginarium Press. And the reason why I thought this book was really interesting to mention was because it's the really only kids' book I found that contextualizes and explains death from a scientific perspective. Mm, very and cool. Really goes, it has these beautiful illustrations that are um, dig- digital illustrations. I know that probably not your favorite, Rebecca, but they look very imaginative <laughs> and beautiful. So really coupling the idea of science with imagination, which I appreciate and I think are intersecting more than people think about generally. And it goes into, you know, what happens when we die, our energy lasts forever and ever according to the law of thermodynamics. And, um, <laughs> but it also talks about, you know, people honor memories of other people by visiting graves. And um, Annabelle asks, what happens when we die? And Aiden dreams of an afterlife with marshmallow shoes and chocolate kangaroos. And- oh, sounds like <laughs> Seth. <laughs> <laughs> Dear friend called the Skeptosaurus or <laughs> Tardigrade Tom, and that children discover kind of the concrete things that we do know about what happens when people die, how our atoms rejoin the universe, and how that remains forever, and how kind of our lives are always impacting and will forever impact the universe and other people. So it really integrates this idea of. How do we honor memory? How are memories kept alive? Um, how do we grieve? What makes life meaningful? You know, it talks about being surrounded by people we love. So it has this scientific lens, but I feel like it's also tackling things that people don't normally associate with a scientific lens. It's not completely pragmatic. You know, mm-hmm. it's emotional and fantastical in some ways um and i think it's a really great reference for secular families or just having some more concrete language for people to explain what exactly does happen when you die in a physical way Mm -hmm. um and also connecting like our bodies to the universe so i actually though it's completely atheist in nature i find room for spirituality in there as well. Mm-hmm. I think that you can really, as a parent or child care provider, really draw some connections there that could make your lessons or stories about death more rich. And mm-hmm. I really appreciate that. Yeah, Rune- the illustrations are beautiful. Right now. <laughs> too. Um, room to Grow. I don't love that hold on 
there are some serious forced rhymes hmm. in this book, which are kind of killer. <laughs> Rebecca's little laugh right now. <laughs> um, and it is pretty absolutist in its secular atheist perspective. In the beginning, there's a part where it, says, it might even be in the prologue where it says, like, you know, where the child is asking, like, where was I before I was born and the adult is saying like well you didn't exist before you were born you couldn't and that struck me as bad to read as somebody who doesn't believe that and mm-hmm. also somebody who aligns with understanding and explaining things by science we're not a religious family but we are spiritual in my family and so that felt like a a sad limitation yeah kind of an overarching um uh, I felt like I was being lectured a, bit, a little bit. Yeah. I was like, oh, bummer. Like, you took this opportunity to really explain concretely the things that we do know, and then you just took license to explain something that you don't actually know. <laughs> well, yeah, that's why I appreciated, like I was saying in, in Death is Stupid, where there's a page that's just like, we all have different beliefs, and like, this, we can open up and have a conversation about those different beliefs. Um, but it's not just like, well, this this is tr- absolutely like there is no way that we could know that <laughs> right yeah no. that felt to me like oh here's where science people start shaming people who have faith yeah that that doesn't sit well with me and i don't i do know i do notice it has page numbers Um, okay, so that's the first book I found. It's really lovely. I this looks like a series as well. Eh? Yeah, right. Some other books I haven't seen. Um, but I, and I think that they might have started as a Kickstarter project. Mm. Um, or at least this book did. Right. And I appreciate that proudly that people are affirming hey there's a need for this information in this mm-hmm. way I think a lot of the other books out there really do try to approach death and grief from this holistic viewpoint that is not arriving at anything really absolute so I kind of do appreciate this lens of like <laughs> this is the way we see it it's just like this <laughs> <laughs> Because um, I think that gives you grounds to speak from. You know, at that when somebody makes an assertion, you read an assertion in the kids' book, then you can talk about. Not everybody agrees with that. Like, what do you? Th- I think that's a really could be a conversation opener. Yeah. And then that narrative actually feels very, very white Eurocentric. That's like, you know what? Like, you can't deny spirituality and people's practices that also involve things like magic and witchcraft and yeah um, right. things that have existed in many cultures across many parts of the world and essentially teach your children that those things are um now I'm trying to find a different word for stupid <laughs> <laughs> irrational you, know, you can't teach your children right that it's irrational which I think is a lot of times the 
conversation that we get into culturally right now about people who believe things that aren't yet proven by science. <laughs> right. Um, which I think is problematic. And it's very much white male driven lens. Mm-hmm. Which, if you look at the author, that tracks. I'd love to hear about your other book. Okay, my other book I chose, Rebecca introduced me to, I have to give her credit for this, finding this book, The Remember Balloon by Jesse Oliveros and illustrated by Dana Wolfacote. I am 100% sure I'm pronouncing that incorrectly. <laughs> I say that person's name. Uh, published by Simon Schuster Books for Young Readers. And this book is beautiful, metaphorical, and has all of these layers of how memory is held on to and passed on. And it starts by showing how there are these balloons and everybody kind of has balloons and there's stories in the balloons and Grandpa has the most balloons, so they're really drawing this association and metaphor together between holding balloons and that balloons have memory, and so the people who are older have more balloons because they have more mm-hmm. memories. Um, and then Grandpa starts having trouble with his balloons. One gets caught in a tree, and he starts telling stories over and over again. And it's all told from the little boy's perspective. Um, it's just really beautiful. Sometimes a balloon might float right out of Grandpa's hand, and the boy will run and try to catch them, but the balloons always float away. Mm. And we have this like favorite balloon, that's the Grandpa's silver balloon, and it's a memory that he and the boy share together. Um, and eventually, the Grandpa loses the silver balloon, and the boy gets really angry, <clears throat> and he screams. Why did you let it go? Like, that was our balloon. And he sits down and starts crying. Mm. And the grandpa, like, doesn't really know why he's crying. And, but he tries to soothe the boy. And then one day the boy goes to visit the grandpa and all his balloons are gone. I can't even talk about this book without crying. I'm going to (laughs) cry. And he says, grandpa, but the grandpa doesn't look at him. And so, um, and then it ends with the parents point out how the boy has his own balloons and climbs into his grandpa's lap and starts telling the grandpa the stories that are in his balloons. Nope, too sad. I feel like I'm about this book without weeping by the end. Um, right. Oh my gosh. It's, I, uh, it really is sad. and But it also is like, so facing reality and we live in this generation where so many people are dealing with memory loss and um, Alzheimer's. Thank you. Dementia, ALS, dementia, and there's not really a lot of support for even adults to deal with this. It's so much to explain to children. The parents are often grieving along with them and you know i think that this is such a beautiful way to make some space around that story by yeah putting this big metaphor around it in a way that makes it really an accessible way to like bring children into 
understand that this is an experience that other people have. I, I also like the idea that you can grieve someone while they're still alive mm-hmm. um, in different circumstances. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, things just got very quiet. <laughs> <laughs> We're all just silently weeping about these remember balloons. <laughs> yeah, it's a lovely book. Um, I do think that my room to grow is that I think in order for this story to really connect the dots for children in terms of it being about grief and loss and memory loss, person that the adult would really need to connect some dots yeah because children are so literal you know my kid would be going like why does the grand why does everybody have balloons (laughs) 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 balloons like that does every two other families have balloons all the time (laughs) where are my balloons (laughs) and we go get balloons right now (laughs) um so i think it would be nice if this book had some back matter mm. so that parents had some support in making those connections because we all know y'all will be weeping by the time you're done reading this. <laughs> your children. Um, because it's, I mean, it's a story that touches so many people. If it hasn't touched you personally, I'm sure you know someone who it has touched and, um, in that way, I think it's a really important book to yeah. our for our kids at this time. Um, and also, you know, like everything else that we discuss, it's like, oh, we just need more. <laughs> we need more support. That can't be that a start and the end of it. Oh my gosh, these kinds of books just make me think about when I, I was substitute teaching once and the teacher gave me up as the movie to put on. And I was so glad that the teacher's desk was in the back of the classroom because I was within the first 15 minutes, I was just like weeping and I was like, you kids don't understand. You haven't had these experiences. What? Um, Up. I haven't seen it. Oh my God. You will weep if you watch it, but it's great. Also involves balloons. So there's a connection. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) I I was reading a, a novel to Dash, one of my favorite novels growing up, but I actually had to do quite a, a, quite a bit of editing around Mm -hmm. some gen, some gender stuff. Um, which was interesting. We could save that for another day. But at the end, it is, it's a mystery. And at the end, when the mystery is solved, like I, I was bawling because of like thinking about the time that these, this family lost together and this one character who's had kind of this mental collapse. And I mean, I was just weeping and Dash, my son was not, he was kind of like, what, like, What's like, wrong with mommy? Are you okay? Right. <laughs> but that being said, and I, I sometimes I have wondered if my six year old is a sociopath because we've read, we, we have read, like there's been, like, there have been other novels that have ended with like uh, Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim ends kind of ambiguously around the life or death of one character that's very important. And I was weeping and my son sort of wasn't and just looking at me skeptically. Um, but then a couple of minutes later, he walked out of the, his bedroom bawling, but it was not about any 
he did, or at least how he articulated it wasn't about anything that had made me weep in the story, but he had really latched on to this taxidermied peacock character. <laughs> and he was like, how come Percival never got to be alive? Why was he dead? So my son was weeping over this, this very critical, uh, I would say, quote unquote, character in the story, this taxidermied bird for not having the opportunity to be alive. So mm. that was his way of processing um, some of this stuff. <laughs> I don't know why that story came into my mind. Oh, I but, love um, but now we have a peacock hand puppet that he sleeps with, which is his <laughs> Percival. <laughs> That's so cute. So all that to say that children process, we, I guess that kids are processing these things. We, we have our unique experience of these yeah, of concepts and they are having their unique experience and there's overlap and there's not. But I think, I think that, you know, let the children see you cry watching up. Like we need to let, <laughs> let these students see us be vulnerable and be yeah. grappling with this stuff. And that will, that will serve them. Yeah. I, I, think, think, that's, that's I think that's really important. I think it's an excellent point too, that, it's okay for children to see adults process grief too. Yeah. In different ways as the child of a histrionic mother with mental illness issues for a long time, I thought I can't cry in front of my son mm. because I don't want to force him to be responsible for my emotions or have to process my emotions with me. And it, it kind of took me a while to figure out, like, okay, well, there doesn't have to be a full brick wall on this situation. And actually, like, how are children supposed to learn to process their own emotions and go through their own grief if they're not witnessing the adults in their lives doing the same? Yeah. You know, so I think there's a balance. It's like, Especially you know, at that, like, a young age, right, we learn by observing Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I thought about that once. I've to told the story before, so I won't tell the whole story. But there was a time where I was crying in front of a child and I literally had the thought, you know, I in knowing these particular parents, I was like, they, I don't feel like they are the kinds of parents who are going to cry in front of this child. And this child, she, she sees somebody <laughs> cry. <laughs> like I had that thought, you know, where I was like, it's to know that it's okay for grownups to cry and it's okay to cry. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. All right to cry. That was beautiful. <laughs> Let me know when you're ready with our theme song. I'm believing. <laughs> All right, to cry. And the Back Matter theme song. That's actually somebody else's song. So okay, well, I'm waiting for the Back Matter song. Back Matter. Was that it? Did I nail it? That's an original. Oh my gosh! All right, Joelle. On that note, do you want to go ahead and tell us about your books? Okay. Um, yes. So again, I just want to shout out, like we were talking about earlier, some of these um, more playful uh, books like Just In Case, A Trickster Tale and Alphabet Spanish Book or Spanish Alphabet Book by Zuzi Morales and um, The Remembering Day by Pat Mora. Those are definitely some to check out. Um, but the two or and the two that I wanted to, well, I also chose two to talk about. <laughs> Um, one, the first one is called Nana Upstairs and Nana Downstairs. 
and it was by um, written and illustrated by Tommy DePaula. Um, and it was published originally in 1973. And mm-hmm. I think it's been re like re-released more mm-hmm. recently with more color. But the copy that I have is this little square book um, with very muted, a very muted palette, just kind of browns and reds and pinks. Um, and it's a, I believe it's an autobiographical story um, about Tommy DePaulo when he was a child. Um, and he is, he does, he represents, um, he's one of many kind of classic children's, il- children's book authors and illustrators who uh, kind of came out in more recent years that they are part of the LGBTQ community. Um, so that's the nod to representation for this book. Um, and Tommy DePaula is, you know, the classic author illustrator of Strega Nona um, and many other uh, classics. But this is the story of a, a little boy. Um, when Tommy was a little boy, he had a grandmother and a great grandmother. He loved both of them very much. And so that's how the book opens. And um, he goes to visit uh, every Sunday and he has kind of a Nana downstairs who is his grandmother Um, who's still very active. And then he has a great grandmother who essentially stays in bed. And so she's Nana upstairs because she resides upstairs in the house and is bedridden um, for the most part. Mm -hmm. And so what I love about this book is its description um, of the relationship between this little boy and his grandparents and the comfort level that he has around like the very, very elderly Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is something that that children too often are deprived of, like the opportunity to interact with very, yeah. very old people in our in our society. Um, so just a description of kind of the routine that he has with both his Nana downstairs and Nana upstairs is just very precious. <laughs> um, and like um, Nana upstairs comes down to eat at the table and like they tie her to the chair to, to support <laughs> yeah, I saw her that image. and, <laughs> and Tommy also gets tied to the chair and they sit and, and right. eat together. <laughs> and it's just, um, it's just very sweet. Um, so there's the first half of the book is just this description of this relationship and these routines. Um, and the, the love between this boy and his grandmother and great-grandmother. And then um, halfway or almost two-thirds of the way through the book, um, one morning when Tommy woke up at his own house, his mother came in to talk to him. Nana upstairs died last night, she said. What's died? Tommy asked. Died means that Nana upstairs won't be here anymore, mother answered. Um, and at this point in the story, when you when you read that page and then look at the accompanying sp- illustration, if you're not weeping, then I, I think you might be a monster um, because it's just it's just very it's very evocative and precious and um, and so they go to the house and he goes upstairs and physically sees that the bed is empty and that's when he begins to 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 cry and then um, his mother explains more about she won't come back except in your memory um, so there's a little bit more of an explanation about what it means to, to die um, and what it means for those left behind when mm. someone passes away and then um, he a few nights later he looks and sees a shooting star and he runs to his mother just to kind of report the shooting star and she says perhaps that was a kiss from Nana upstairs um, and it's and then um, then there's a time jump so then 
in kind of the final page, uh, you see an older man, like a, not, not an old older man, but a, a young man mm-hmm. looking out the window and it reports that, um, that eventually Nana downstairs kind of became Nana upstairs and then passed away too. And then whenever he sees a falling star, he, he kind of thinks of them and says, now you are both Nana upstairs, he thought. Aww. And it's just, <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it is a very, I, I, I just think it's precious. I think I, I love the, the relationship that the relationships that are, that are depicted. And I love the kind of gentle description of what it means when someone passes away. And I just, I, I, I don't think I have a room to grow for this book. I think Aww. it's kind of exquisite as it is. Um, I mean, ex- except everything that we've said about like, yes, it is kind of one more Eurocentric uh, kind of perspective on it. But I, I think for it, it's a beautiful, beautiful perspective. And just a, a sweet story to have um, in the rotation, you know, not something that can only be pulled out when – a pr- you know when it, the issue has arisen but something that's just a lovely story to have I think that's what makes this one especially nice is i think like the my two in particular i probably wouldn't just pull off the shelf um i would probably use them if that right arisen. right like we've talked about like the a tool like a a book that's useful mm-hmm. as a tool and then a book that's useful i can't remember the other word we used but one that's just kind of aesthetically lovely and and is something to keep some keep representation on the shelf all the time yeah which is which is nice because then you can talk about those things you know all the all the time and introduce those ideas um, right right without it being like this is death yes, <laughs> like some yes. Of the other books are. <laughs> like and now i will transition to my second book <laughs> speaking <laughs> of um the second book that i wanted to mention is called the fall of freddie the leaf mm-hmm. a story of life for all ages and it is by leo buscaglia um and let me see what i said about leo buscaglia oh and the photographers for this book the the images are not really anything to write home about but um how do i expand this um there's a number of photographers that contributed to the book and they include, um, where can I find this? They include Anthony Frizzano, Greg Ludwig, Ken Nowak, Bobby Probestein. So he is Leo Biscaglia, PhD, is what it says. Um, and I wanted to see what his, I was trying to recall for myself what his background was. Um, I believe that he is a, um, a psychologist or psychiatrist. Um, that's his background, but I don't quote me on that or quote me on that, but then do your own research or maybe Crystal, can, maybe Crystal can find out a social security number for us and his, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but so this, this was originally also, I, I picked two books from the seventies. So this was also, uh, this was published in June of 1972. And what I said about this book is that it is perfect for the, um, uh, the what? How did I describe it? it? Well, this is the book for thanatophobics, right? This is the book for either an adult who is very uncomfortable talking about death, or a child who is expressing like active fear uh, around dying, mm. uh, because it is an allegory about life and death, and the cycle, and kind of 
coming to a place of peace and acceptance and understanding about purpose and about making space for new life and that that process. Um, And so the author says, dedicated to all children who have ever suffered a permanent loss and to the grown-ups who could not find a way to explain it. Mm. Um, And so the story, it's... um, It begins, spring had passed, so had summer. Freddie the leaf had grown large. His midsection was wide and strong, and his five extensions were firm and pointed. So this is an allegory about a leaf on a tree who's very, very um, happy to be alive in the summer of of this this book. Um, talks about how he emerged in spring, how he, there were so many other leaves on the tree, and then there happens to be this this tree, this leaf, Daniel, who is <laughs> just exceptionally wise, and is kind of Daniel is able to kind of is preternaturally wise and understanding about about their role in the world. And so Daniel uh, kind of leads Freddie through this understanding about the sun and the moon and the stars and the season and that trees have strong roots and they grow in a public park and it's their purpose to provide shade and um, they have a reason for being. And um, and it just kind of describes the the conversation between Daniel and Freddie about, about life and purpose. And then fall arrives. And Daniel ex- explains that the frost had come and that it was fall. And that um, then they change color. And Daniel, again, the wise Daniel explains that each of us is different. We have different experiences. Um, so that's why we all change different colors. And then um, the leaves become frightened as they begin to fall to the ground. And Daniel says, um, it's what happens in fall. It's the time for leaves to change their home. Some people call it to die. And um, Freddie is very fearful of this change. And Daniel is, quells his fear about, again, evoking ideas about purpose and 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 time and cycles. And um, Daniel lets go effortlessly and peacefully and says goodbye. And then Freddie, Freddie is the lone, the lone leaf left on this tree. And, and it begins to snow and he, he, he is cold and uncomfortable. And then he, at dawn, the wind came that took Freddie from his branch. It didn't hurt at all. He felt himself float gently, quietly, softly downward. What? As he How fell. Did huh? How did it end? Sorry. I know. Uh, I did not give a good synopsis more than I just gave a read aloud of this book. Um, as he fell, he saw the whole tree for the first time, how strong and firm it was. He was sure that it would live for a long time. And he knew that he had been part of its life and it made him proud. Um, so it, and it kind of goes on. It's a little bit, you know, it's a little verbose, just like I was and trying to summarize it. But um, <laughs> the <laughs> long story short, it's an allegory about life and death told from the perspective of two leaves. And I think it does a nice job of, of, of contextualizing one life in kind of this idea of of purpose, what, what you do when you're here, and why our time is finite. 
I love that. Um, I also and, really love the other leaf's name is Daniel. That's so funny to me for some reason. Like <laughs> Daniel the leaf, like Freddie the leaf is fine. But for some reason, Daniel the leaf is hilarious to me. <laughs> it's like when people name their dogs human names. Like You mean Jerry. like my dog Elizabeth yes. or, or your rabbit Winston, Winston. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and Meredith? <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. Yes, Daniel. Oh, <laughs> oh my and, and I would, um, yeah, so, and it, of course, it is sort of like, how, where did Daniel get all this wisdom? Like, why does Daniel understand all of this? Didn't he also arrive in spring? Like, <laughs> why, why is he the keeper of the knowledge? But if you look past those, uh, those kind of <laughs> plot holes, then I think that this is, um, this is a, a, a nice a, a nice book to help along with bringing in some of these more playful books and, and kind of these more stre- strategy books about what we do when someone's passed away like this. I mean, truly, like I myself am a fanatophobic. Like I have a lot of fear around death. Like I was crying even just writing up these books yesterday or whenever I was Aww. kind of double checking them. Like I, I, I have a lot of fear around them. But this book... I felt was one that I really could use as a tool Mm. when talking to my child. Um, So I I do recommend it. It has some, it has some rooms to grow, but I I think it's a nice one for the bookshelf. Okay. Do you feel like it's a problem that when the leaf actually dies, that it basically says that it goes to sleep? Which I um, like is kind of a problematic euphemism, particularly when we're talking about death of children. I don't think it did. It said that it didn't hurt at all. He felt himself float quietly, gently, and softly downward. But it doesn't. Okay, maybe that's what I'm remembering. Um, oh, you, okay, you're right. Maybe it does say he closed his eyes and fell asleep. Um, I, yeah, I, I definitely agree that that can be problematic language. But I do think that this book has enough going on that it is clear that it's not he fell asleep and so he died. Uh-huh. Um, so I think the positioning of where it is in the story I um, helps with that. I imagined that more like when someone is like accepting their death and they just like close their eyes and let them right. die. Like, it's clear that he's already fell from the tree. Like, dude's a goner. Although, like, (laughs) I think that might might be worth explaining. If a kid was confused and they said, like, wait, did he just fall asleep? Then you could be like, no. Um, Right. But, yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's that's something to be mindful about. I agree with you. I agree with you there. This makes me remember the first time we had a fish that died. Mm. And River kept asking, like, is it going to wake up again? Is it going to wake up again? And we really had to go through the, like, no, like, its heart stopped. I don't know if fish have hearts, I imagine. They I think they do. <laughs> no. no, fish are all robots. Uh, <laughs> they only have, <laughs> they have microchips. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, oh I remember God. that being confusing. Right. What's the distinction between sleep and I'm like, well, it's death. Back. And then when you're the other thing about the fall of Freddy the Leaf is comparing nature, which is such the perfect like allegorical, mm. you know, role for nature to play in a book about death, but also 
you know, there's complications to that as well because we have things like trees that go to sleep and come back next year or Uh, um, bulbs that grow and die and then the next year they multiply. Um, And I, I can see it in my kid's wild brain going I think about some of those particular right right yeah I think it would probably yeah. depend on the kid definitely and I and <laughs> like, like using the word stupid <laughs> right and like we've talked about I mean I, I think that it's pretty yes yes but I like that the allegory is the leaf Right, because once a leaf falls from a tree, for the most part, its its life has come to an end. That's a good point. Right? Yeah. Huh? That's a good. So, like, so we can talk about like, yeah. So, live oak trees, like those leaves, stay forever. And hey, some turtles live for you know we've talked about turtles live for hundreds of years. Like so, like we could there's there's flexibility in it, um, just like there's flexibility and variability in life and life cycles, but. Um, yeah, I think for the precocious kid, this allegory would fall flat, perhaps like the certain yeah. the certain type of precocious kid. But it, it worked for me, or you know, it helped, it helped. It made me feel like, oh, okay, I can, like, truly, I think it's a great book for thanatophobics. Like, if you are fearful of death, your child is is exhibiting fear of death. Like, this is a nice book to have. Yeah. In addition, like I said, to having books that celebrate death and are more playful around death, like mm-hmm. the Dia de los Muertos books. Like, let's reframe this. Yeah, I really and like try that. to yeah, eradicate have any, this fear. Um, room to gross for this book? Um, well, I think we've talked about them. Like, it's a little. I mean, in general, it's a little clunky and a little mm-hmm. wordy, and the the art, you know, the photography is not really anything to write home about. Gotcha. Um, but. I, nothing that would make me like, like we've had in the past where we have felt that books are so problematic that we can't yeah. actually recommend them. It's not nothing like that. Well, thank you. I, I love, I love the variety of books that we had this time. I just, we're so funny. We like, can't choose. We always end up <laughs> with like 17 books. Right. <laughs> like, well, that's good. I, right. I know, like well, if we're I finding ones that, that are recommendable. Well, that, I mean, as thing. opposed to what was it? Was it, sex when we were like oh right they recommend like two books one single book (laughs) everything else we're actively going to deter you from and i've i've had those conversations like in other spaces in my life where i've been like actually we don't we we actively discourage folks from reading all of the ones you just listed hard after we have these in-depth conversations i see titles that we disparage being yep recommended all over facebook and i'm like yep. oh do i get into well, that okay the other yes the other day and you refer them back to the podcast i had made a list for a guest on the podcast actually had asked me to make a guest a list for them of books that were showed uh, family diversity in various ways and so i made this list and i also shared it on a couple of facebook groups uh that about books that i'm a part of and mm-hmm. uh somebody was like, oh, I really like. Thank you. These are all great recommendations. I all, I all, blah 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 blah. <laughs> thank you for these recommendations. I also really like because I had mentioned, um, what is it called? Everywhere Babies, I think, mm-hmm. uh, which is a board book that shows it's just like every day, everywhere babies oh, yeah. get dressed. Blah, 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 yeah, blah. but it shows like all sorts of you know. It has like t- I mean all sorts of. It has two mom families and two dad families and 
people of uh, different races. That's about as far as it goes. But it's it's nice. It's nice for incidental inclusion and for a board right. and for a board book. Um, and so. Uh, someone had said 10 little fingers and 10 little toes and how it shows all different families. And I was like, I like the idea of it, except not all babies have 10 fingers and 10 toes. (laughs) (laughs) And they were like, Oh yeah. I never thought about that. And I was like, yeah, like there's a lot of books that we, I I see everywhere. And that book in particular just makes me so angry because I'm just like, this is ableist. And I, I I would never (laughs) read it to the kids that I, that I nannied. My immediate thought about that is like, Oh, there's, at least two deeply racist children's rhymes songs that kind of begin with that same kind of idea idea and rhythm of like that right like ooh <laughs> don't really right. hear that thank you guys so much for being here and uh, yes. it's a pleasure as always and I'm excited for uh, for next next time <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah thanks for having us Seth this has been a lot of fun yeah so much fun talking about death and weeping <laughs> I know but maybe that's the wrong word that's one of those I reached for the word I mean it was fun it's always a pleasure yeah. but yes this uh, there was there were some there were up, pregnant there were poignant moments <laughs> when we had to grapple with our own mortality uh, yes no mortality you know <laughs> well that's like my um my wife's mother uh, has terminal cancer currently and um and uh sorry i totally just lost my train of thought and i when i got this book usually my wife will be like oh read me the book that you got and i was like not this one we're not reading right. this one. <laughs> not not today my friend not today no, another day <laughs> oh my gosh anyway on that exciting note um i will say goodbye <laughs> have a yes. good rest of your day you too bye, bye. bye.